0: Hello and welcome to this Monday edition of Back to the Bible Well, we're into the final week of our four-week series entitled The True Christian A study in the book of Colossians We invite you to join us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 As Bible teacher John Neufeld shares a message titled The Word of Christ
1: Because the passage we study today is, in my estimation, so important to the contemporary church, I've chosen to take an entire teaching session on just two verses, Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. See, my sense is that we're living in a very critical time in the life of the church. Some of the ancient forms that have always been a part of the Christian church, such as public reading of Scripture, public prayers following the instruction of 1 Timothy 2, 1-4, confessing our faith together, as well as confessing our sins, along with the things that are mentioned here in Colossians 3:16 and 17. I fear we're in danger of allowing these things to fall away, and in its place, we've stressed performance-based music along with need-based preaching under the general rubric of a seeker-sensitive or need-based church. But are these matters of preference, or are these matters of Scripture? And I don't feel that in the time I've allotted I'm going to discuss this matter thoroughly, but I do think Colossians 3:16 and 17 needs to be examined by every contemporary church today. For in these two short verses, we do set the stage for more than we had ever imagined. So let's remember our context before we dive right in. Paul has been warning the Colossian church about false teachings that vie for their attention. Fix your eyes on Christ, he says. Know that if you understand the supremacy of Christ over all things, then religions, philosophies, human traditions, and legalistic demands of the various false teachings around you, those things will lose their appeal over against the preeminence of Christ. And then Paul moves from that, from those warnings, to the lifestyle of the Christian. Put off the clothing of your former way of life, he says. Reject the clothing of everything from sexual immorality to slander and anger. Instead, he says, put on the new clothing of your new life, the clothing of compassion for others, humility, love. That is, when you come to Christ, you need to adopt uniquely Christian virtues. And I feel I must stop here and point out that helping Christians understand Christian virtues, that's almost disappeared from today's Christian language. But Paul clearly taught how Christians ought to behave, which virtues they were to put on, or which virtues were to mark their lifestyle. And then Paul ends this section on Christian virtues by explaining how those virtues actually work within the context of the local Christian church. Love must be the governing virtue of all that we do. That is, the virtues that Paul has been speaking about govern the way the local church is supposed to function. And then having said that, Paul moves from there to the actual interaction within the church. Notice there's one overall instruction, one overall command. It's the command to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that's where the passage starts today. So let's start. We need to begin by asking, what is the Word of Christ? Some have suggested that it refers to words that come from Christ in the form of prophecies or some revelation of Christ. But that's hardly possible in the context. After all, the book begins by Paul insisting that he's an apostle of Christ. That is, he is the one who's been directly trained by Christ and consequently On the basis of that fact, that Christ has personally trained him, he is given permission and the obligation to speak on behalf of Christ. And furthermore, as we've already noted, Paul has then trained Epaphras, and Epaphras was directly accountable to Paul, and it was Epaphras that had brought the gospel to Colossae. That is, the word of Christ did not come to Colossae, because of personalized or private revelations. Rather, it came through spokesmen who had been both trained and duly authorized by Christ himself. So what's the word of Christ? Well, the phrase is best understood as the word the Colossians had received about Christ. That is, this congregation was to be constantly reminded of what Christ taught as well as the implications of his teaching within the congregation. So let's see if I can tease that out. Please remember that at the time of the writing of the book of Colossians, the date of writing is probably around A.D. 62. The book of Mark, thought by many to have been the first gospel or the first written document of the life of Christ, would have been written in the late A.D. 50s. I'm trying to paint a picture in which you should think of the gospel of Mark as being still recent and probably hot off the press, as we like to say. As to whether Matthew had already been written, I think the answer is yes. That gospel would also have either been just completed or in the process of being completed. And all that means that it's most likely that this congregation could not yet have had access to those gospels. So what am I getting at? Well, I'm sure that Epaphras, remember, he's taught by Paul. He would have been taught the life, the ministry, the identity of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and all that meant. Did Epaphras have access to Matthew and Mark? Well, it is possible. You know, I've long held a theory that Matthew would have kept written notes of the life of Jesus and would have made them available to the apostles. Paul would very likely have had access to that. He would also probably have had access to the Gospel of Mark, although I can't say that with any certainty. What I'm saying here is that the Colossian church certainly didn't have the New Testament as we have it today, but they did have accurate, well-guarded, and carefully articulated teachings of Jesus. Go back to Colossians one twenty eight. Listen carefully what Paul says there. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is, and then carefully listening to Epaphras, the Colossian church had been taught the word of Christ with all wisdom. So that means that the Colossian church were to allow that word that was taught to them to dwell within them richly. And we have to imagine that phrase must have meant something. They were to pay attention to what they were taught. They were to repeat it. They were to carefully obey it. They were to hide it in their hearts, no doubt memorizing portions of it. They were to teach one another. In short, they were to ensure that the accurate word they had received continued to be taught and repeated and obeyed in their interactions. Now, even though that's not stated in Colossians, we do know from Paul's writings That elders would have been appointed in every congregation, and these elders were also called upon to teach and proclaim the Word of Christ. Now, as time went on, the four Gospels were not only completed, they were copied, they were distributed to every congregation. As well as Paul's letters were also copied, received as Scripture. And as the entire New Testament became complete, the New Testament became recognized as the authoritative Word of Christ. It taught all that Jesus did and taught, along with all the implications meant for the local church. That's what the Word of Christ is. And so today, we can rightly take that line, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, to say, let the entire Bible which is the Word of Christ, and especially the New Testament, which accurately explains the Old Testament in the light of Christ, let that Word dwell in you richly. Well, now, how do we do that? And the answer is, we do that as we teach one another in all wisdom. Teaching in wisdom must mean teaching it in such a way that you know how to apply this to your life. And I say that because the very definition of wisdom is skill in living. Teach the New Testament and the entire Bible in such a way that people know how to live this thing out. And What does that mean? Well, it means that the elders of any church, and if, if you're not familiar with that language, elders are pastors. Let the pastors so instruct the congregation the words of Scripture so that the church can know Christ and to live out Christ in their daily lives. That then assumes that the teaching function of the church is expositional. The task of teachers in the local congregation is to go through Scripture, word for word, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter. And so to teach it that the congregation is talking about Christ and knowing how to live that out. Let me state it even more plainly. The teaching function of any local church is not supposed to help you how to lose 50 pounds or how to feel better about yourself and accomplish your goals or how to interact with the philosophies of our day. No, no. The local church is to let the Word of Christ, the content of the New Testament, dwell within them so richly that they're talking about it and living it out. I know that sounds simple, but that basic pattern must not be interrupted. And I fear it is in danger of being interrupted in our day.
0: This is Back to the Bible, Bible teaching you can trust. Our 2024 In All Things Scripture calendar is now available for your contribution of $700 each. As usual, our calendar is complete with beautiful photographs which next year along with Bible verses and inspirational thoughts for each month will help to remind us that God is ever present. There's a verse for the week to help in scripture memorization and a daily guide to help you read through the Bible for all the 366 days of 2024. As always, we have a complimentary copy for our active partners, those of you who have made a financial contribution to the ministry within the last two years. We ask our active partners, where possible, to collect your calendar from our office here at Hagley Park Plaza by the latest Friday, December 15, so as to help in reducing our mailing expenses. That's our 2024 scripture text calendar Available at our office Located at shop number 22 Hagler Park Plaza, Kingston 10 For your contribution of only $700 each Please plan on getting your calendar early As supplies are limited Now, as we get back to the Bible Here once again is Bible teacher John Neufeld Who, by the way We'll be back in Jamaica early next year.
1: Paul moves from the command to teach and admonish, to teach the word of Christ, now to sing about Christ. So let's say something about singing. Singing has long been a part of the people of God. But sometime, and it's hard to say exactly when, but singing in the Middle Ages, Roman Catholic Church stopped being a part of the worshiping community. People stopped singing and simply watched the liturgy being performed by trained priests and singers. Chants and formal songs were sung, but it was all done on the stage. The common people never participated. They just watched. One of the things that the Reformation brought was the revival of congregational singing or the revival of the singing of the people of God. It would be a fascinating study indeed to discover why it is that singing so deeply speaks to the human soul. You know, I've noticed that, you know, if I memorize scripture, that's hard work. But if I sing scripture, I simply remember it with ease. And furthermore, I find that when I sing, my emotions, as well as my willingness to act and believe, is excited. It's as if they wake up. Music and singing is surely one of God's great gifts to His people. Think of how often singing is spoken of in the Psalms. Psalm 511, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Psalm 9, verse 2, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Psalm 13, verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And Psalm 21, 13, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. We could go on and on, but did you notice there are psalms that say, I will sing? And there are others that say, we will sing. That is, singing is both individual, performed by an individual, prayer and worship, But it's also part of the corporate experience of God's people. We believe and know that God has given singing as a gift, as a vehicle for God's people to worship. How sad then, especially in our day, when increasingly we see entire congregations called upon to stand during worship. A performance band then plays at a performance level, and the majority of the people in the congregation simply watch And if you don't believe me, do what I do, just look around you. People are not singing. Why is that? Given that it's a scriptural command in both the Old and the New Testament, let me suggest some rather obvious reasons. One is simply volume. We simply set our instruments so high, it really doesn't matter if anyone sings. Indeed, it makes no difference whatsoever. So whether they sing or not won't make a difference. What's happening on the stage overwhelms the singers, and whether they sing or not is up to them. It's a personal choice, but it doesn't matter. And the second reason is because many of the songs are unsingable anyway. They're either set in a key that the majority of the congregation can't sing, or they have a style that only works for professional singers and are not meant as a part of communal singing. So here's a little test. You can perform it anywhere. Imagine a summer evening. Your Bible study group is meeting outdoors. It's a campfire. You wish to sing. There are no instruments. Or maybe there's one guitar. Can you still sing what's sung in church? And if not, I tell you, those songs weren't meant for the corporate life of the people of God. If you can't sing them together without instruments, they're not meant for singing. And I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. My wife is a clinician in a hospital. One day, attending to a dying woman, she heard that woman singing a hymn. My wife simply went over to her, took her hand, and sang alongside of her. Two women who had a common bond in the Lord, holding hands, singing something they both knew that can be sung. And my question is, we're setting the stage so that the next generation, when they also are on their deathbeds, may not have a song to sing because they've not been taught a singable song. It's an important question to ask. The next question is one that we find in this text. It's in Colossians 3.16. It's the content of our singing. I once heard Al Moeller say that you know some of the contemporary music has so little theological content to it, it's not even possible to accuse it of heresy. It just doesn't have enough content. Look at what Paul commands the congregation at Colossae to sing. First, he says, sing psalms. takes no imagination to know what that means. The book of psalms contains the hymn book for ancient Israel. Compiled in five books from five time periods in her history, Israel had 150 psalms of worship. And no doubt, the early church simply put music to ancient psalms. We're commanded to sing psalms, so why wouldn't we? When we sing psalms, we're singing the worship songs inspired by the Holy Spirit. Many congregations have gone months or years since they last sang a psalm together. Never mind singing one every time they meet together. See, in order to be biblical, I can't imagine not having psalms, singing psalms as a part of worship. A second category that Paul gives is hymns. And here we should exercise caution. We shouldn't jump to the conclusion that this means singing out of a hymn book. Look, there was no hymn book when Paul wrote this passage in Colossians. And as far as I can tell, the first hymn books were published in the 1500s. You see, what then does Paul mean when he says we should sing hymns? I've already pointed out from our study in Colossians that I've thought that this book itself contains a Christian hymn. That hymn is found in Colossians 1, 15 and following, and it starts, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, many Bible scholars are convinced this indeed was an ancient Christian hymn. There are other places in the New Testament where scholars also see evidence of hymns. In other places, in Philippians chapter 2, he was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, if that's right, then we're seeing a theme developing. All the hymns that we find in the New Testament are the singing of the great Christian doctrines. Now, in the past, since the creation of the modern hymn book, the singing of doctrines has been central to Christian singing. So let's go to the third category, singing spiritual songs. What can that mean? Well, we can not say that with absolute assurance, but I think it's in either one of two categories. It seems to me it might refer to simply songs of adoration, or it could also simply be possible that we're singing words of Scripture. They are spiritual revelation of God. I think about that. And once we understand this to be the command of the worshiping community of God, we can see how far we've drifted today. Sometimes we're singing songs from very gifted musicians, and yet they come from sources that are, and I should say it there, some of the sources are heretical. But lest you think that I'm just pining for the good old days, I'm not. Right now, if any song leader has the aptitude for it, they can find very biblically gifted and trained songwriters who write songs that do reflect these three categories. And I do believe today's church needs to rediscover the biblical mandate of singing. Instead of simply repeating what people are doing in other churches, go to the Scripture. So very well, teaching is to be teaching the words of Christ, that is, teaching the Bible verse by verse with Christ as the center, And singing is to be psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then Paul adds one more item. And the last item comes about in verses 16b to 17. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Thanking God for everything. Our teaching and singing inspires that. And whatever we do, do it in the name of Jesus. That is, whatever we do. We do it to His glory, whether at home or at work, whether eating or drinking, whether taking an evening walk or taking time off for a vacation, whether it's attending worship with believers or attending a board meeting at work. We have learned that all activity is under the Lordship of Jesus. That's what our worship and our teaching has taught us. Notice verse 16b says, With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And verse 17 ends giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ his Son. Thanks, praise, gratefulness, overwhelm that in all things we find the presence of God and that as we do all things to his glory we find his presence in all things. What does that inspire? It inspires deep gratitude to God. See, the final test of our corporate worship is whether we approach all of life with gratefulness to God in all things. Are we happy and grateful? We can be and we should be because we have been in his presence, because we have worshipped. That's what the word of Christ has done for us.
0: Thanks so much for your message, Dr. John. Uh, Let me ask you this. Uh, do you think we need a reformation in how we do worship? And, can I add, does it really have to do more with content than style?
1: Well, I, you know, I think it has to do with both, Ben. And, I, you know, I just want to be clear about this. Obviously, it has to do with content. I mean, I think we should go back to singing those kind of things that are either, you know, Psalms, as I've already said, uh, or Scripture, or uh, singing the great doctrines of the faith. We, we've got to... Just stop you know, singing all the tripe that we sometimes sing. But I think there's something about style, too. If we only sing those kind of songs that are difficult for a congregation to sing... Um, You know, we don't put singing into our hearts. We don't sing it when we're at other places. So I think we're going to have to look more and we're going to encourage, you know, people who lead worship to look more about, you know, are the kind of things that we're singing both theologically true, but are they also singable that invite people to sing? I mean, teach people new songs, yes, but make sure that those songs are songs that they can sing in a key that they can sing. I mean, all that stuff also makes a part of the singing community of God.
0: Thanks for joining us today here on Back to the Bible, brought to you by Back to the Bible Broadcast to Jamaica. In a partnership with listeners who give in support of this ministry, our office is located at Shop Number 22, Hagley Park Plaza, Kingston 10. Our office hours are from Mondays through to Fridays, from 8:30 a.m. through to 4 p.m. We can be contacted via email at backtothebibleministry@gmail.com. At Our office number is 876-926-5765 And our cell and WhatsApp number is 876-337-6295 To listen to this study again, or some of our previous studies, they are available in our free mobile app along with other Bible engagement material. Just look for BTTB Jamaica in your app store. That's BTTB Jamaica. You can also listen from other podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Be sure to look for Back to the Bible, Jamaica. And before we go, we have in stock the 2024 edition of Our Daily Bread, available from our office here at Back to the Bible for $500 each. Debit and credit cards are accepted. We invite you to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series in the book of Colossians, The True Christian, with a message titled Husbands, Wives and Children. As Bible teacher Dr. John Neufeld shares from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through to 21. That's tomorrow, right here on Back to the Bible Jamaica, seeking to bring you closer to Jesus today than you were yesterday.